0: I want you to know that yesterday was our very first group run uh, for... um our participation in the Team World Vision Run, as you you, you may have uh, been here several weeks ago now when we uh, talked about how we were participating in that, running in the monumental half marathon or the full marathon, um, and uh, we're doing this to raise money for clean water in Africa, and so yesterday, a group of us, along with uh, 10 other churches in the North Indianapolis area, uh, met at the Monon, and uh, we ran about, I don't know, it was 20 or 25 miles it felt like, and... Um, so it may, it may have been five, I don't know, but, but one way or the other we ran and it was great. And so uh, again, let me just remind you that if you, or let you know, if that's something you think you'd be interested in, it's in November and uh, certainly come talk to me or our team captain who was Kelly Ancliffe and, uh, and hear more about that. But it was a good first day. What a great day it was to run yesterday and what a great morning it, it was been this morning, right? It's amazing out. Thank you, Dave. All right. Dave, I'm just going to preach to you today. It's me and you. All right. So, we are starting our new series this week, and uh, it's a series looking at uh, the letter to the Philippians. Uh, and so, this morning, we'll do this over, oh, until I think probably around the last Sunday of August. So, over the next several weeks. And, uh, and so, today, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So, I invite you to hear these words. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel." For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory of God and praise of God and sisters and brothers in Christ this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God and let's pray God we do come to you on this beautiful morning giving you praise we thank you Lord for the summertime for the opportunities that come with that Lord a time to perhaps to break away for a little while a time to relax to be with family or with friends We pray as well, Lord, that in the midst of this freedom, that we would also see it as an opportunity. As an opportunity for us to reflect on all the things that you have provided for us, God. For your grace and your forgiveness. For your love and for your care for this community. So we pray, God, that you would help us to do that this morning. That we might be a people of praise. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So a little while back, you may have seen it, there was an article that was written that confirmed what every person who has a sibling already knew, which is that no matter how much Parents try and deny it. That every parent has a favorite child. The research has shown that a very high percentage of parents, as they looked at them, as they watched them, as they saw them, how they reacted to their children, how they interacted, could see that they have gave one preferential treatment. Your parents are getting nervous in here as you sit next to your children. What's also interesting about the research is that it also revealed that the vast majority of children, not only did they believe that, but they also thought it was the other sibling who was the favored child. I, I always knew that in my own family, uh, 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 my sister always thought that I was the favorite child. And so she would go on and on, and she'd say that you're the golden child. And, and she was always complaining about it. And I would try to show her the times when actually, no, 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 look, look how you've treated, you know, look how my parents treated me here, or look what they did for you there. And she would never believe it until finally I just gave up. And I just said, well, can you really blame them, right? Hoping that it would quiet her down, but of course it didn't, right? And Megan and I, of course, we don't have a favorite child. We do have one child that we are pretty convinced will do the best job of taking care of us when we get older. So we treat her much better, but I think that that makes sense, really. That's just good thinking. So I bring that up this morning and, and think about the sense of kind of having a favorite child because in many ways people say sometimes when you birth a church, if you're a church planter and you birth a church, it almost feels like kind of this the, the terminology, birthing of a child and what that's like. And and so as we look at Paul and all the different churches that he has planted or birthed over the years, it's pretty clear that the people in Philippi, the church in Philippi, is his favorite. He loves them. He speaks to them. He talks about the fact, even in our own little passage there, about how he prays with joy over them. When he, he thinks of them, it is with great joy. And throughout this letter, as we'll see, the word joy comes up again and again. He really, really loves the Philippians. In fact, I almost get a sense as he's sitting there in prison, and he's, he, he realizes he needs to write a letter, and he's like, oh, I should really write the, to the Galatians, or I, I should write to the Colossians. They're such a mess. And then he thinks, no, I'll write to the Philippians. I love them. like really. I mean, you love everyone, but I really like them. Right, he loves the people of Philippi, and so the question is why? Why exactly is it that he that he likes the people of Philippi so much? Why do they bring him so much joy, if you will? And and before we kind of give some examples or, or the reasons why, it's important to see that what this does is it actually bubbles out of gratitude, right? I mean, what that's exactly what he says. He says that he says that this joy kind of comes out of the fact that as he as he thinks of them, he is thankful. For them I give God thanks every time I remember you and it's important for us to remember that joy so often comes out of a spirit of gratitude we talked to last week I just mentioned this briefly that if we're struggling with joy that a lot of times it's because we're trying to earn the love of God rather than doing it out of a sense of gratitude or thankfulness and again this week we see the sense that what's important is for us to be a people who give thanks the reality is for the vast majority majority of us, almost innately it seems, that when we're thinking about our life, what we begin to think about are those bad things that have happened, right? The negative things that have happened to us. Why is it that almost every child thinks it's his or her sibling who was the favorite child? Well, because of the fact that all they see are the nice things that the parents do to their sister or to their brother, and they see the injustices that their parents have done, you know, towards them, right? It's almost just kind of human nature, and so if left to our own devices, we will focus on those things. And so apart then, just as, a, as again, as an aside, is, is a sense of how are we being intentional about writing down, and I think it's helpful to write down or at least to mentally begin to think about here are the things to which I could give God thanks and what might happen if we spend time actually doing that and how might joy erupt out of the gratitude that comes from actually reflecting on the many ways in which God has been with us and has provided for us. Us. So we begin with gratitude. And what exactly is it that Paul is so thankful for when it comes to the Philippians? Well, by and large, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, it would be what we see in verse 5, and it's what the Greek, in the Greek is the word koinonia, now, koinonia is one of those words that, uh, that, that in the church we hear some. There's a lot of Greek words we don't hear about a lot, but koinonia is one that we hear with some regularity, perhaps. And, and koinonia is most often translated simply as fellowship. And, and fellowship, it's really, it's a fine word. It's, it's very true. It's about kind of community, if you will. But fellowship really has kind of lost some of its teeth. Uh, in our kind of common day church parlance. It, it mostly is a, a church word that you don't really hear about, hey, you know, hey, you want to come over and love the fellowship a little bit. That doesn't really, you don't really say that day to day, but but in churches, I mean, I can remember the church I was growing up with, we had a, a fellowship hall, and in there you'd be kind of like this big space where you would eat together, or you would, you know, do some kind of activity, or in some churches you would have, maybe you still have in some churches, what they would call a fellowship hour, right, and our fellowship time, and that's when you'd come together. kind of like what we do in the gathering space. You'd have donuts or you'd have coffee, and, and that's fine. There's really nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't have a lot of sense of exactly what it means, right? I mean, if that's all it is, if it's just kind of having donuts together or coffee together, it's hard to think, isn't it, of Paul sitting there in the midst of prisons and being chained down and thinking, oh man, this is rough. But you know what? I remember When I used to eat crullers with those Philippians. That was amazing. Right? It's hard to think that that's actually what brings him joy, right? Is just the fact that he's had donuts or had a meal with a group of people in Philippi. It doesn't quite get at exactly what it is that Paul is saying. And so as I was thinking about the word fellowship, I was reminded that in many ways, of course, there is a particular area in our culture where the word fellowship has had something of a resurgence. And it's because of some movies that were based on some books. And can anyone remember what where we use the word fellowship? The Lord of the Rings... The very first trilogy is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Right? And when you think about that, perhaps that begins to help us to understand how Paul was trying to use this word, right? In other words, this wasn't just about a group of guys there and other kinds of uh, objects, or, uh, I don't know, elf and hobbits and... Exactly. So all of these things, right? and they were grouped together, and they weren't there just to eat together, though certainly that was a part of what they did. No, 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 they gathered together because they had a mission. And so they were committed to one another and to completing the mission, right? Which for them was to destroy this ring. And so they were determined with one another to be with one another, and it meant that there was something of suffering that they were willing to do. There was sacrifice, there was solidarity, there was investment, there was determination, there was courage that they would have together to fulfill this mission that they had been given. In other words, they gathered for a greater cause than just themselves. And that, I think, gets closer to what Paul is talking about when he says koinonia, which is not just a gathering together. It's a gathering together of people who have a specific and clear mission. In fact, in verse 6, Paul talks about this where he says, I pray that you will be able to continue continue to work right until the completion by the day of Jesus Christ in other words that you are working towards the mission to the day when Jesus returns and when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven and that a part of our mission is to begin to say what would that look like right now and so it's the reason why together then we try to work towards the ending of injustice it's part of the reason why then we try to help help others to experience the grace and love of Jesus because that's what heaven is going to be like. It's why we work together to try to end hunger. It's why we work together to try to bring bring, bling, to bring, I sound like I'm on Lord of the Rings, to bring uh, a, a clean water to Africa. It's a part of the reason why we keep working until the day when every knee bows down and every tongue confesses that the Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord, We believe that we gather together, but it is because of the fact that we are working towards a clear mission. That is a bit more to what exactly it is that Paul is talking about when he brings up the importance of koinonia. Now, here's the other part that's important to remember about koinonia. Not only... That it's about being a community together. And not only that they have a clear mission to which they are going. But also, in the NIV translation, I think kind of gets this uh, even better in verse 5. Where it says, he thanks them because of their partnership in the gospel. So the koinonia has a sense not only of the fact That we are to gather together, not only of the fact that we are to go towards this mission, but with the fact that each and every one of us has a role to play. Each and every one of us is a partner in that mission. Now, I realize that that may not sound like that big of a deal to you, but I want you to know that when Paul says it, I get what he's saying. I don't oftentimes kind of pull the, you know, well, I'm a pastor. You might not really understand this. In fact, I don't think I've ever said that non-sarcastically. But I want you to know that there is a part of me that thinks that I understand. I really get exactly what it is that Paul is saying here. Because I know that in one sense, right, There's one, on the one hand, it's one thing to say, I know that people love, oh, you know what, we're a part of this church, and it's it's great, and we love that it has a mission, and we love that mission. That's wonderful. That's one thing. It is a whole nother ball of wax to say we love this church, it has a clear mission, and we know that we play a part in it, that we have a role to play. It's easy to simply come in here on Sunday mornings, perhaps, and to be able to, 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 to sing a song, to meet some friends, to hear a sermon, maybe even to say an occasional amen. <laughs> Unprompted. And, 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 you know, or perhaps in more Presbyterian parlance, you know, to say, hey, nice job, thank you, that was great. And then to go home and have absolutely nothing about you change. And have nothing in the neighborhood in which you live change. And have nothing in the community of which you are a part change. And have nothing in the world actually change, but feel like you're actually doing something. That's church. That's not koinonia. See, koinonia says, oh, no, 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 no. Not only do you know that you're to gather together, not only do you know what that mission is and you have some clarity that you're working towards a day when Christ returns and God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, but it is a part of your job to actually participate and do things towards the completion of that mission. I want you to know that that is a completely different And I want you to know that not only does it shape the kingdom of God differently, and not only does it shape who we are as a church differently, I want you to know, and I don't want to make this about me, but I'll make it about me for just a brief second. I want you to know it is a delight as a pastor to be a part of a congregation that gets And the reason why Paul is so excited and joyful about the Philippians is because not only do they realize that they're called to be together, not only do they understand that they have a mission that they are working towards, but that they actually get that they are a part of this mission. No wonder Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Right In fact, on Wednesday night, I know this sounds kind of weird, but you guys know I'm not completely normal. on Wednesday night, I was laying in bed and I was thinking about this koinonia stuff, right? I don't just download on Sunday morning these sermons, right? I do it on Tuesday so I can think it through the whole week. And as I was sitting there, as I was laying there on Wednesday night, I began to think about the ways in which ZPCers are actually participating in the mission of God. And as I thought about it, this is really true, as I thought about it I started getting more excited and I I genuinely could not sleep for a while because I was running through all of the different things that you are participating in. Right? I was thinking about the food pantry and the fact that not only, I don't know if you know this, but not only do do the food pantry folks not only do they provide food, but they have developed relationships over the years so that in many Anyways, the people that come, it is a small church of sorts and they listen and they pray for one another. And I was thinking about them and I was thinking, I thank my God every time I remember you. And then I was thinking about the Sunday school teachers, and I, I love the fact that you know my 4-year-old my, my, my and my 6-year-old and my 8-year-old, my 2-year-old, she doesn't say anything much, but, but the rest of them, how they begin to learn stuff already about the stories of Scripture, about the story of God's grace and love. And, and then my wife, even when she comes and talks about her own Sunday school class, and I thought, I thank my God every time I remember you. Right Or all the countless amount of people who spend countless amounts of hours preparing for great banquet. Why? So that they could share the love and grace of Jesus. Or those who are preparing to go to Brazil to start a whole new great banquet. And I was thinking, I thank my God every time I remember you or my wife right? This is just more personal, but my own wife, I mean, to think about what she does and the ways in which she helps to lead in different ways here, detached from me, and just to think about the church is a strange world, and I am so appreciative. I mean, not strange people, of course, all very, very normal. It's the ten thirty where they're weird, the nine o'clock, very normal, but to think about her sacrifice at times. And I thought, I thank my God, Megan, every time I remember you, for the people who are concerned about international missions and so they cultivate relationships with mission workers or they go on short-term mission trips, I thank my God every time I remember them or the people who work with our folks from Jeremiah House and who spend countless hours loving and caring for them and listening to them or cleaning up the Jeremiah House. And I said, I thank my God every time I remember you or the people who do IHN and help to make sure that we can house the homeless, or drive them places, or have food for them, or play with them in certain times. I thank my God every time I remember you. Or making meals for newborn parents, or for people who have undergone some kind of surgery. I think I thank my God every time I remember you. Or the people who lead home groups, or the people who do hospitality, so they have donuts and brunches. I really thank my God every time I remember you. Or the people, the stories that I continue to hear, even. Just this last week of people who opened up their homes in order for their neighbors to come over and to gather together, sparked by the Hoosier Neighbor series that we did a year or or longer ago. And I think, I thank my God every time I remember you or the stories that I've shared about our covenant children, Those uh, the the, the middle school young lady who said, no, 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 we're not going to let that kid over there eat at the cafeteria table alone. We're going to go over and be with you. Or the elementary school Uh, child who invited someone over for the home and it was the first time that they had ever been invited into someone else's home and I think I thank my God every time I remember you for the hospital team for Kairos the people that go in and care for the prisoners and love the prisoners and I think I thank my God every time I remember you or for my own children they have no choice but my own children who go over into a lot of strange Not, let's see here, into strangers' homes, and who more often than not do it with joy and a sense of excitement that I could not do without them. And each going on and on, the meals that I have with people here who say, what does it look like to follow the gospel in my own workplace? Or the people who are building homes for those who who would not have a home otherwise. And I think to myself, I thank my God every time I remember you. My hope and my prayer is that you get a sense of the reality that at ZPC, this is not a church who simply thinks we have a good mission, but is a church where people are committed to come alongside me and others and say, what can we do and where can we go. It is fascinating that this is one of the only epistles where Paul does not say who he is in terms of an apostleship. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm Paul, an apostle. And many commentators say, well, that's because he doesn't have to prove his authority to them. Maybe that's right, they're just guessing. And so I have my own guess, which is that they don't actually, Paul doesn't even think about the fact that in any way he's kind of leading this thing Because by and large, there are so many other people who are already engaged that everyone, in one sense, is sharing in the leadership of what is happening. No wonder Paul is full of joy because he gets to hear about what the Philippian church is doing even in his absence and how others are experiencing the grace and the love of Jesus Christ even when he is not There. This is koinonia. There's church, and then there is koinonia. You should have said amen there. Uh. There's a difference in merely consuming the gospel versus understanding that you are a partner in the work of the gospel. There is a difference with merely consuming the gospel versus understanding that you are a partner in the sharing of the gospel. There is one more aspect of koinonia that I wanted to share, which is that not only is there this sense of partnership in the gospel, But in that time and place, koinonia was oftentimes used when it came to business or financial partnerships. In fact, in other letters, when Paul uses the word koinonia, he's speaking expressly to the times when people are giving financially. And even in Philippians here, in chapter 4, he will more expressly, as we'll see here in several weeks, thank them for their financial gifts. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise If you're going to really kind of be a partner in the gospel, it means that you give of your time, you give of your talent, and you give of your treasure, of course. But it's also important to realize that when Paul says this, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's not just, hey, let me thank you for that gift. That was great. He genuinely means this. And why do we know he genuinely means it? Well, because, as you may know, in the prison in that time, they didn't normally feed you. You were in jail, and the only way that you got food was if somebody else provided it for you if someone brought it into you for, brought it brought it to you so that when paul says he is thankful for the money that he has that he has been given he is saying to them i am really really thankful because if you wouldn't have given money i would not have food and i would not have been able to eat and what's great is when, in verse 8, when he talks about the fact that, uh, that, that, that he thinks about them like the compassion of Christ, literally what it says in the Greek is, is, that, is that this emotion, this love, is coming from his bowels, from his intestines. Because in that culture, that's where they saw kind of the, the seeding, if you will, of emotion. Kind of like we use the heart, right? And we don't literally think it's from the heart, but we use the heart. And so what, what Paul is saying, I found this to be somewhat humorous, is the fact that, that he's thanking them from his intestines for the food that filled his intestines. So from the very root, from the very being of who he was, he gives thanks. And as I thought about that, I realized that perhaps... Perhaps today is not just a time to be thankful for the ways in which you partner in the gospel broadly, but is even to also specifically say, I want to thank you, I and on behalf of the staff, for the ways in which you partner with us financially. And I want you to know that we are deeply appreciative of the money that you give. I don't want to be crass, but here's the reality. If you didn't give money, we would not have a house, we would not have food we would not have clothes for our children or for ourselves and I want you to know that while I know that we talk about money in many ways and I hope and pray that you give generously I want you to know I want you to hear this on behalf of the staff thank you and not only that even more personally I want you to know that Megan and I are deeply appreciative and we talk about this with some regularity, how thankful we are to you. Our children, they are not that thankful yet. They continue to think that money just appears. But I want you to know, from the, from the bottom of our hearts, from the depth of our intestines, how grateful we are to you. Now, it's a little awkward to me to give a sermon where, by and large, all I do is say thanks. Because there's always that part of me, there's always that part of me that wants to say, but we're not there yet. You know this. We still have, we've still got, you know. And if there's visitors, I don't ever like to be at a church where they just sit there and say, hey, we're amazing. But, Meister Eckhart has this little saying, he was a German theologian back in the 13th century, where he said, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that is probably sufficient. And so this morning, I simply want to say thank you. Thank you for not being content to just be church. Thank you for being committed to being koinoniae to being committed to one another, to the mission, and to participating in it in all different ways. Know this, that every time I remember you, I thank my God for you. Let us pray. God, probably far too often we do not begin out of a sense of gratitude and thanks. And so this morning, Lord, we gather together simply to give you praise. I thank God for this body, Lord, that's been around for over three decades now, Lord, and for the work that they have done for your kingdom. We know, God, that we are not perfect. And yet, Lord, I cannot help but get a sense of joy as I survey the ways in which your kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. So I give you praise. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who are full of gratitude, and as we do so that joy would begin to erupt out of our lives and out of this community. That in so doing, those who surround us could not help but be drawn to that joy and gratefulness. They may become a part, Lord, of this body that is continuing to work until the day when you return and your work has been completed. With that, we give you praise. Amen.